Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I chatted with Phoenix Mayett, uh, an amazing photographer. Um, we talked about a lot of different things, but the biggest thing is she's working on a project about feminism on the seacoast area. Uh, it was a project that I took part in. It was a photography project um, where I sat answered some questions while she was talking to me. She would take photos and then took one of the quotes and put it up. It's an ongoing series. She's hoping to get 100 participants by next March, um, which will be the one-year anniversary of the Women's March on Washington, which is kind of what inspired her originally. And we talk about all of this. So um, uh, Phoenix's art, her photography is something that's inspired me for a long time. So it was a it was a real honor to sit and talk to her and kind of get her her uh, inspiration for this whole project that I was part of. So enjoy. Hey, real quick before the episode starts, by the time you hear this, I've already begun my 51 states, 51 days road trip uh, where I'm you know, recording a po- 51 podcasts and doing a painting in each state. Uh, it's been awesome, all the support that I've got so far, but if you want to be part of that still, I, you can still support me while I'm on the road. Trust me, it'll help me a lot. If you go to thisismytruthpodcast.com, there is a banner at the top that'll go to the GoFundMe page. You know, you can get a postcard, you can buy a painting, you could, if you just feel like giving five bucks and helping out, um, feel free. That would be awesome. I appreciate everyone who has supported me so far, and thanks for listening. We were, we, we were, which I didn't end up using that because it was bad, but because that phone uh, died like two weeks later, and everything I had on the phone oh, was lost. That um, well, it's it's why like so like this has got a, a memory card in it, and it's right. totally separate, and you know, and also like for my for my trip that I'm doing. I need a GPS, but I don't want to use my phone. I'm going to use, like, I need to get one of those standalone GPS units, right. which I used to have. But, right. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the give and take with using technology is we rely on it so much, and then when it fails, we're just like, oh, shit, what do right. I do? What do right. I do? Yeah. I'm like, so I have to buy a couple extra memory cards for that because I'm doing 51 of these conversations on my trip. Nice. but. And that will hold about between 27 and 29 hours when I do it in MP3 format. But doing 51, I obviously need more than one. Right. But I actually thought about I might, I might order another one of those just to have a backup recorder as well. Just because yeah. you never know. I mean, this one's been right. great, but I'd hate to be out on this sort of once in a lifetime trip and then, yeah. you know, be thwarted by technology. Right. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, the, looks a little different than when I was in here before. I, I feel like there was. Did you have like a, like a chaise lounge or something in here, or some different seating? Uh, maybe. I mean, it all kind of changes around depending you know on what, what you I mean. Need. And for the feminist shoots, I've been using different chairs. Okay. Because um, I'm I'm 
kind of trying to get this idea across that we're sitting down and having a conversation. Right. But they're different conversations, and, yeah. you know, they all vary. So, um, so that, that's been kind of getting swapped in and out as yeah. necessary. So you shot, um, it's interesting, you shot a friend of mine, Stacy Noel, although I think her married name is Perkins. Yeah. Um, which she had seen the picture that you posted about me and cause she's a teacher and she was, she was nervous about sort of putting herself out there, but yeah. she was like, well, if Scott's doing this, sort of putting himself <laughs> out there, which I didn't take it that, I mean, I didn't feel like I was putting myself out at all. Like I didn't take it me personally as like any sort of brave thing. I mean, we had, a, you and I had an interesting conversation about that where I was sort of feeling uncomfortable calling myself a feminist, um, just sort of uh, being, you know, I talked about growing up in this culture that has cut like our generation and past generations has sort of raised men wrong in my opinion, or, or not raised people to be feminists. And so trying to, as an adult, sort of unlearn a lot of what I had, been taught was okay you know it's it's a it's a it's a journey it's always you know always learning right right i think as we come to understand that um feminism isn't limited to uh cisgendered women right and our understanding of what it means to be on that spectrum of masculine feminine yeah um changes that that those who can feel that they can embrace and be included in feminism will increase. Mm. I mean, I always say that my, my dream is to live in a feminist world and I can't do that if only 50% of the, of the you know, population are right. feminists. We need yeah. everybody to get on board and, sure. and to find their place within um, the philosophy of feminism. Yeah. So, I mean, I know the history of how this, like how this idea came about, but um, remind you know refresh just so people listening know right right um, so i went to the um to the women's march yeah. in uh january um in washington um and it was really really amazing because a there were just a ton of uh cool people everywhere yeah. um and so great t-shirts and signs to look at and yeah. um but also the individuals who i came to talk with while i was there mm-hmm. um were really special people and they had come for all kinds of reasons um, and it was it was really very moving. And mm. when I um, came back, I realized that it was sad to leave all of that behind because it was like it, it was being with people who got it, you know, who like in the popular term now who ha- who were woke. Sure. And some of them more recently than others, yeah. but um, but they were all really on board and really interested in engaging in this conversation. And I felt like it was a shame to leave that behind. Yeah. And so rather than come home and human stew and fear, I decided to reach out and um, expand my community and better understand what feminism means to people um, in this year after the march and in this year as we move more deeply into a Trump presidency. Sure. Um, How soon after the march did you, because I remember you putting out the call asking, you know, I believe you phrased it, you know, are you, you know, do you identify as a feminist or right, something right. along those lines? And you said, you know, did say it was open to both men and women. Uh, how soon after you came back from the march did you start shooting? 
Um, I think it was in, in March. Yeah. You know, we kind of took a couple of uh, rounds of thinking about it to get the idea together. But yeah. um, I feel like it was uh, in early March. So, yeah. Yeah. And how many people have you shot? Right now I have 30 that I've done, and I'd like to get at least 100. Yeah. And so uh, my goal now is become more clear to me what I want to do. So I'm kind of like amping mm. up the process a little bit, um, is that I want to get this project done within the first year after the march and really have this kind of nice snapshot of where things are going right now. Sure. Um, and so... Um, I initially called the project The Face of Feminism Now, which is really broad, and it turns out it's really going to be kind of a snapshot look at feminism in my community. Mm-hmm. And um, so given how limited my community is, not only because of my geographical location, but just because of my individuality in the world, um, I want to talk to you and to other people and try and include as many voices in the project mm-hmm. in, the, in the months that I have ahead of me yeah. to continue working on it. It's really important for me that... Um, that the project is um, as inclusive as it possibly can be within that community of people who identify as feminists. Yeah. Did you, um, because I I remember initially seeing, you know, call to participants. Are are you still putting stuff out or is it kind of an invite? How are you, like, how are you, how are you meeting the people that you're photographing? So word of mouth, so one model talking to another model um, has has been helpful. And I've been hanging a few posters, mm-hmm. and um, but I haven't been, um, you know, I've had other personal work that I've been doing, and so it's been a little bit of a competing interest. Sure. But now that I um, have a sense of this end date for the project, I'm putting much more energy into it. So I've scheduled um, open dates um, through the end of October now okay. um, for Saturdays, a couple of Sundays yeah. or some Thursdays for people to come in um, and, you know, it takes 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour, yeah. come in and sit um, and just kind of be able to shoot one person after another and yeah. start working in as many people as possible. And I was, I mean, my experience with it, it was very, I've, I've been involved in a few photo shoots and for anyone listening to this who would consider doing it or think they might want to buy it, are hesitant because they're self-conscious or whatever. Because I'm not, so, I myself am not someone who generally likes having their picture taken. <laughs> um, but it was very, it's, you're very easy to shoot with, at least, you know, in this particular thing. Because it was, we were just talking, you were asking right, right. Some, some questions and you weren't having me pose. I was just talking and you were right. photographing as we were talking, which I think put, you know, tends to put people at ease, certainly put me at ease. Right. I think that's a key piece that I should have mentioned in that, yeah. too, that idea of that that conversation um, that I started in D.C., um, that very literally translates. So it's not just photographs of these people. Um, it's also asking them to fill out a survey before they come in yeah. and getting a little bit of information about their ideas and their experiences. And then I read through that and I put together a list of questions and topics to cover mm-hmm. with people when they come in. And then, as you said, we sit down, we have a conversation and yeah. then I casually shoot through that, but I'm trying very much not to have people pose um, but very much to have this kind of catch of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I want the viewer of these photographs to see uh, the faces and read the words as well from the yeah. surveys um, and and join in that conversation themselves. Is it, 
you know, when you, I mean, you have on your wall, we're in your studio here in Dover, um, you have on your wall, I don't know, a dozen portraits that you've done over the years. When you, when you're typically shooting, do you, do you like to converse with the people? I mean, does it depend on your subject, who you're shooting and what you're shooting? I mean, how does that, how does that go? I mean, was, was, is this the, the feminism project, is that, different than other shoots that you've done. Right. It it certainly is, especially um, the survey that I asked people to fill out in advance. Um, And and that raises the bar quite a bit for my models. And I think maybe more people might have participated if they didn't have to go through that extra step. Sure. But it's that conversation that I'm after. And so I really want to work with people who... Are um, who are interested in in participating and putting sure. their voice towards that as well. Um, so it's hard to do that, you know. I think for some people to kind of collect their thoughts and um, and you know condense some things down. But it is only four questions. Yeah, it's not too overwhelming. And um, so that's a that's a big difference because normally when people come in, if they're paying clients um, and we're going to do some commercial work together, we talk about what they're after, yeah. and then how I can best meet their needs. Yeah. Um, and if it's if it's artwork for me, um, generally it's a kind of quiet and composed scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I want the model to feel comfortable, but I'm after something kind of specific. And with this, I'm after something that feels um, of the moment, mm-hmm. and I. Um, I'm keenly aware of the power imbalances with photographers on their mm-hmm. subjects. I get to yeah. hide behind the camera yeah. and my subject does not. And so um, during these shoots too, I frequently put down the camera and just stop and talk and I don't take pictures. Sure. So it's another big uh, difference in the approach yeah. to the process. It's interesting because I've done, I do a lot of um, reference photos from my paintings. I'll, Cause it got to the point, cause I use particularly drawing human figure I use reference photos um rather than just you know I'm always kind of envious of illustrators who could just sit down and draw the human form without looking at anything and and the more I do it the more I sort of intuitively know how you know the muscle systems work and whatnot but I still use reference photos and it got to the point where I was tired of scouring the internet trying to find what I was looking for specifically because if I had something in my mind, so I, I started doing reference photos, but I never really thought of the power imbalance that you were that you were talking about. Um, although I, I have had several people respond to me about you know after the fact saying how at ease they were shooting because I often will paint people in the nude. So I'll shoot people in the nude and they were like, Oh, it's, it's, it's very relaxed and very casual. And, and I think, and, and I, and I tend to shoot with people I know as well right. too, because I think trust is certainly an important thing. And particularly if you're shooting someone who's nude or semi nude, there's, there's a vulnerability there, but yeah, I hadn't really thought about the, the idea of, you know, the photographer is sort of hiding behind the camera yeah, and if you look at the history of um, artists and their models, that mm-hmm. that has traditionally, for a very long time, been a male artist as creator and a female model um, as the subject. Sure. And so um, I think that 
that adds to now that kind of sense um, when models find out that I'm a woman. My name is a little bit ambiguous. So sure. When they find out that I'm a woman, many times they feel infinitely more comfortable knowing that I'll be shooting as opposed to a man. So yeah. um, part of that is complex, but part of that, I think, is that... Um, it's a little bit of a of a of an upset of that traditional power, you know, structure. Sure. Um, so it's interesting, and I when I um, when I shoot men, I'm aware of that as well. Yeah. Um, and it's come up uh, as a kind of focal point in my work in the past as well. That power imbalance between subject and um, and creator. Mm. Um, so in a series of work that I did with men with bags on their heads, for instance. So the subjects were nude, um, and I made oh, okay. bags for them to wear on their heads and then photographed them. And, and that very much became about power um, sure. and about objectification. You did, um, I put, and again, forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I, because I think I saw some of your work before I had ever met you where, did you do a series that were, uh, like phallic portraits with all black behind them. Right. Okay. Right. And that was at, it, it was at a wrong brain event that I saw it. Right. Um, how long ago was that? It was a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Wrong brain. had just moved in. Yeah. And that event was actually, that. I think, I think it was when Adam and Brian had a space even before Ron Brian was here, right. but it was like That's a, right. it was in Brian Cartier's space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was working the door for that, for a show. <laughs> nice. I was like, oh, these are interesting. Uh, but it was kind of, uh, I, um, you know, there, it was very stark, the background. Uh, and it was sort of interesting to see the, um, you know, the, the, the close up, uh, detail sort of devoid of the, the subject itself or, you know, the genitalia became the subject itself. Um, was that, so comparing that to, you know, the project with the, the gentlemen with the bags over their heads, were, were the guys more at ease doing that or, you know, Right. Well, it's actually the same, the same project. Oh, okay. Um, and they're kind of feeding on the same notion um, yeah. that if you, um, I mean, that project grew out of, there's a saying uh, that uh, I've heard men say about women that, you know, I would have sex with her, uh, but only if you put a bag over her head. Right. And that idea is so just crushing to me that someone would say that about another human being um and so i thought well that's interesting what happens to men if you put a bag over their heads i'm always kind of flipping things over like that what about from this side um and the more i thought about it the more interested i was Mm. and the more i worked on it the more i realized um that it it wasn't just about sexual objectification the way that men might play with that in our American society, but it was also about objectification um, in a much deeper way about the way that humans do that to one another, mm-hmm. and the way that white people might do that to brown or black people, um, to see them as objects and not full human beings. Um, the images of Abu Ghraib came up for me. Yeah. Um, the minute you put a bag on a man's head, suddenly um, the idea of torture now comes forward Mm -hmm. um and uh 
So these pictures became, you know, really very deep, but there, there was this piece of it that was certainly born out of, I like looking at men. I find them attractive and interesting. And people say that you, that the female form is more attractive than the males. It's more naturally beautiful, which I think is garbage. Um, and an assumption that's based on a very Western attitude about sure. bodies. And so let's look at men, I said. And, and if we look at the most sort of valued aspect of masculinity, it is the penis. And um, so those photographs were taken um, in order to really look at that as an object. Sure. Um, not as part of a man, but as what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, cre- I used these thin pieces of black felt um, and cut a hole in the middle of them and asked the model to bring um, the junk to the front, as it were. Right. You know? And so I uh, masked then the body from the genitals using this black fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an interesting process because some men were uncomfortable having, um, not having an erection. And um, other men were turned on just by having me photograph them. And so that kind of would then um, unfold this great process, you know, of their getting an erection um, and then losing that. And um, as a photographer, it was terrific to see all of that unfold. As a person, it was sometimes awkward in the room um, when the model is watching porn on the phone and masturbating during the shoot, um, and that was something that he felt he needed to do in order to feel comfortable, it gets to be an interesting dynamic in the room. Which, yeah, that's very interesting because in order for him to be comfortable, he had to do something that then made you uncomfortable. Um, You know, I wasn't, like, hugely uncomfortable. It was awkward at best, I'll Mm -hmm. say that. Um, I had one model that really pushed the boundaries with me, and wanted to be very sexual in his talk with me. And and that was odd because I paid the models to be there. So that I realized, like, no, you know, I actually have complete control over this situation. Yeah. This man's standing in front of me with a bag on his head, and I'm telling him what to do. And if I tell him to be quiet, he will. Right. And I, wrote, I write about this in a zine I made about the project, that I had to silence him for my own pleasure. That's an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so... A lot about pornography, a lot about um, objectification, um, not only, like I said, between uh, sort of those dynamics of gender, but also much larger power dynamics. Sure. Um, Have you, I mean, did you get any sort of backlash from anyone in the public from that that project? Just because I think my... My experience in stand-up comedy, because I, I, I used to do stand-up quite nice. a bit, and, you know, I I had one comedian who I would work with around here a lot who is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Uh, uh, but she's a school teacher. It's her, her, her daytime job. And she's very honest, but, she you know, she talks about sexuality and her body and... Um, you know, some of things that make her uncomfortable about going to gynecologist, stuff like that. It's really funny. Um, and it's very honest. And I had reactions from people who would come to the shows and be like, you know, show was great, but I, you know, that girl was 
really, you know, graphic. And, and I was like, yeah, but I say graphic stuff. Too. And they're like, well, that's different. You're a man. And I'm like, but, but why is that? So I wonder because, you know, when you're talking about pornography and the, you know, the, you know, men have, men and women have been photographing women nude and, you know, sexually graphic, you know, up close. And I think a lot of people, you know, even if they're upset by it, horrified by it, say, well, that's men being men. And I just wonder if you had any sort of reaction from people being a female photographer. I I don't know that I've had any anyone quite um, make statements quite like that, but it, it, it has been really interesting to me how those images of the, of the penises have been a sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and um, I have to say that I've had, had these photographs printed on paper, you know, and, and handed them to men to look at um, and straight men and cis-identified straight men. I'll have to like say all of that because maybe it plays into it. Right. They were literally uncomfortable touching the paper sure. the photographs were printed on. Yeah. And yet, you know, because they couldn't look at a penis. And I was like, but wait a minute, when you call it the money shot, doesn't that include the penis? Yeah. So don't you look at penises all the time? Like every time you watch porn, aren't you kind of also watching penises? It's I, it's funny. I've thought about that because quite a lot of porn that's out there is POV porn. So you're only seeing the man's penis. And I think, and I would, I would imagine that a lot of people who watch it are imagining themselves in that scenario. Um, whereas, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I wonder how having it printed out, like how that registers differently. I mean, that was the thing. The, the you know, straight white uh, and what, and I'm, I'm still learning about. Was it CIS? Yeah, so it's CIS. And yeah. I actually don't know what that stands for specifically, but the... Um, the meaning is that you have been born and identified as a specific gender for your right. whole life. You ident- identify with the gender that you were born. Right. As, right. right. And it's, is it cis normal? Is that, is that how they just I, you cis know, in general means that? Yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, I may be using it incorrectly, but I'm, sure. I'm learning along with everybody else. Yeah. And that's how I am too. I, you know, I happily, if someone would like to educate me, uh, please, Shoot me an email. This yeah. is my truth podcast at gmail.com uh, because that's how we all learn and yes. get better it, at being better humans is, you know, learning from other people's knowledge. But so growing up that way myself and being around a lot of people who identified the same way, the the most terrifying thing for an adolescent is at least, you know, going back 25 years, you know, when I was a teenager, um, was someone thinking you're gay. Um, and then at some point in the twenties, it, this sort of game, um, which often gets called gay chicken, which is to then act, um, in 
in a you know very very uh, stereotypical. <laughs> so I've never seen this played you, out the, before. Oh, this, this happens with guys all right? the time, which is it's and it's so ridiculous because of the culture that we were brought up in. It which is to you know like stroke a man's face, put your hand on his thigh to make him uncomfortable. Uh, and whoever would go the farthest was more, you know, more badass or whatever. And if you freaked out and said, stop it, Ari, I'm uncomfortable, then somehow that made you quote unquote gay by being uncomfortable. And it's just, it's such an, I mean, thinking back on it now, it's, it's so offensive that like, that's the worst thing in our minds that could ever happen is being, you know, not even sexually attracted to men, but just being comfortable around another man. Being able to touch them. Right. I mean, when when do men really get... Women often are very affectionate with one another. Sure. In a very non-sexual, non-sexual way. way. I rarely see men being physically... Um, I mean, intimate is almost like too strong of a word to it, but it, physically friendly. Familiar. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, it, in a way that feels like... Um, yeah, just like a warmth, like a sure. connected physical warmth. So, and that's, that's sad. It's it's very sad. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, two of my brothers live in Europe, and uh, my younger brother Tim, in particular, lives in Poland, which is they're very affectionate. Uh, you know, I mean, you see men walking down the street holding hands together. Um, you know, kisses on the cheek are not uncommon. You know, anytime you go anywhere, there's People are embraced, and we're just, we don't seem to be, we, it's not that we're not comfortable, we're uncomfortable with that, which is right. just bizarre to That's me. That's why it's so great to go to Poland and then come back and talk about Poland, because there's an assumption that what we know is all there is. Right. And so, like, when we talk about, sometimes I, I very often catch myself doing this when I talk about what men are like or what women are like, yeah. that that bullshit only reflects what I know, which is really, really limited <laughs> right sure. here, right now. Sure. And that's about it. So, um, you know, having those check-ins about what's real versus what is your known, right. super important, because it turns out that there's so much more out there than what we see. For sure. I had a, I had a very eye-opening experience where, um, you know, and I was, I was trying to be funny, but I had gotten to, but you know, I grew up on the seacoast. I'm from Exeter originally. And so most of my peers, most of my friends in this area are, you know, upper middle class to lower upper class white families. And a lot of my friends in the last decade or so have had kids and there's been a lot of my friends, kids, they've been given names that are, you know, not names that I heard growing up. Um, and, and there, there seemed to be a trend of, uh, trying to find sort of, I don't want to say outlandish names, but it, it seemed a lot of a lot of my friends were naming their kids what I considered were ridiculous names, um, and so I, you know, I had made a post on social media about uh, <laughs> this I, is where it all goes wrong. Well, it's, it, it is, but it was, <laughs> it, and I bring it up because um, 
it was a huge learning experience for me because I had said, all right, I'm, I'm going to open up a, a savings account for the next of, of my friends who has a kid who they give him a normal name, which, you know, and I had people who I know from other communities like, well, what do you mean by normal? And I was, and, and I found myself having to backpedal and, and I realized I was trying to explain, okay, I'm talking about the people that, you know, cause I had, um, you know, some, some native American friends who were like, well, what do you think about this name? And I'm, and I was like, well, that's fine. You're, you know, and I was, I was like in trying to dig myself out of the hold, I was actually even being more offensive <laughs> and it really made me kind of examine like, okay, I really was just looking at the world from my own immediate surroundings and, but generalizing to the whole, whole world. Um, and really just your opinion. Sure. Right. Which we're all entitled to, but it doesn't necessarily belong to anybody else. Absolutely. Either. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it was one of those things that it was just, you know, because I don't have kids myself. Um, you know, I was just basically being an asshole. Like, thinking, I mean, I, was, I thought it was funny, right, but, right. I, you know, and if I had taken the time uh, to think about it more, I probably probably would have either a worded it completely different or just been like, eh, this is more trouble than it's worth. But it was a, it was a great thing for me as far as like opening up like, and, and I don't mean this in a, I don't know, like, cause I know some people are like, well, you got to watch what you say so much. Just don't bother saying anything. No, I think it's important if you have a strong opinion about something to voice it, but real like sort of, play the devil's advocate with myself and say, okay, how is someone hearing this going to react to it? Are they going to, is the point that I'm trying to make going to come across clear or am I going to, you know, do I need to educate myself a little right. bit more? And I'm guessing in the final analysis, you probably, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to throw this out here. was a little judgy and I'm, what do you care what somebody names their Sure. Kid? Like ultimately like, sure. who cares? You don't have to call them every morning. You right. know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, and I did end up, I did end up losing a couple, I mean, I don't know if I would say friends and this is not like, you know, I don't need them, but I was like, okay, well, if trying, you know, and the couple people who voiced it, they were upset. I tried to reach out to individually and be like, look, I, I didn't mean to offend you. And, you know, I appreciate the feedback that you're giving me. Um, uh, but a couple of people, you know, had blocked me and unfriended me and I was like, okay, well, you know, my voicing, my loudmouth opinion can have consequences. Absolutely. So, you know, it was a, yeah. You know, it was a, yeah. I mean, and that's an interesting thing now with, because free speech is thrown out as a talking point in, you know, the news all the time now. I mean, particularly with, you know, uh, white power movement saying, yes, you're protected against the government silencing you from saying that. But that doesn't mean saying whatever you want, whatever ignorant shit you want, doesn't have consequences. Right. And that's, like, we, we don't really talk about that side of it as much. Right, so. right. Well, I mean, certainly the idea of community standards um, has been brought up when the Supreme Court's been determining what is and what isn't obscene. Yeah. So um, it's a curious notion, then, what would be our 
community standards regarding hate speech. Sure. Um, and, and hopefully all of that is undergoing constant evaluation as we become more and more sensitive as mm. a community. So, um, but I, I think that idea of pointing out like, whoa, you know, I, I really learned this lesson by doing this thing that actually uh, didn't reflect who I am as a person or didn't accurately reflect the, the kind of person I want to be right. in the world is a super important part of feminism itself. And, you know, I was reading very recently about this guy and he's got this jazz blog and he had another jazz musician on. They're having this conversation and... And this, this jazz musician saying like, yeah, you know, I really have this groove and I know what women like. I know how to hit the musical clitoris. Mm. And he's talking about how women like a groove and this kind of specific kind of mu- music that puts them in a trance. And, um, and a lot of just flat out kind of, where do you get this from, buddy? What are you right. talking about? Right. Have you spoken to any women who listen to jazz or is this just what's kind of blowing out of your ass this afternoon? Right. And he got called to the mat about that, um, and so did the individual who runs this this blog. Um, so uh, um, he, however, has been really unwilling, the blog owner, to step forward and say, well, you know what, I think you might have a point. Even when another jazz musician came in and said, you know, I read over your interview list, you've had 47 interviews with 47 different jazz musicians, and they've all been men. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And the blog owner can't talk about that because he's too busy arguing that he's actually a feminist. Hmm. And, and the, the feminist in him, I would ask that feminist to stand up and say, how do I learn? How do I engage? And how mm-hmm. do I become more sensitive to the concerns of other people in my community? Yeah. And when you're dug in arguing that you're a feminist, you're actually moving in or not moving in the direction that everybody else is. Yeah. So, you know, owning up to that stuff and talking about it and calling people to the mat and then forgiving them. And all of that is part of that, of maintaining that healthy feminist dialogue. Yeah, for sure. What I, I heard a quote or I read a quote recently, which, and I wish I could remember who said it, but it, it was, the gist of it was, Anyone who's screaming at someone else, you don't understand, I'm on your side, has a bit more work to do themselves, which is totally true. Um, It's particularly with, you know, my experience has been with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, because, you know, racism in this country, I, I feel like it's something that has never really been addressed as a dialogue in this country. I mean, uh, slavery is talked about in the past tense, but um, the effects that, you know, 200 years of slavery have had still to this day, you know, because... Well, we don't just do it to... I mean, uh, slavery uh, was, was a limited you know, period of time in, in, in the American historical context. But that lessening of other people, that objectifying and diminishing of other people, we've managed to do it with a variety of other groups besides just black people. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the white dominant cultural um, group is, is really good, actually, at doing that to people that we consider 
other. And, right. and the, the framework of slavery has sort of made it, um, I feel like has made the effects of, of uh, racism even more grinding, you know, particularly economically mm-hmm. um, for the black community. Um, but we're really good at doing that to a lot of people. And it's interesting when we talk about um, people of color, they're the other mm-hmm. versus like just people, right? <laughs> you know, right? right. Um, and when we talk about average Americans, they're different from black Americans. Like mm-hmm. they always, there's always sort of this idea that they're the other and they're the smaller group, they're the weaker group and they're the lesser group. And I wonder if maybe we should start talking about ourselves as the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. And and really, or the conquering culture, or um, the uh, the de facto stat- normal status culture, and, mm-hmm. and really naming what we are, um, which is uh, as a group of white heterosexual middle class people, um, very often very inflexible mm-hmm. to the concerns of others. It, the only people who I hear say that racism doesn't exist are white people. Right. Oh, yeah, for certain. And, I mean, you know, our current political culture, there's a huge pushback from, you know, the... Unfortunately, it, it seems like it's more the lower middle class to middle... Uh, to lower class income white Americans who, because they've been promised, hey, you're being, you know, you know, you're being marginalized. And instead of, instead of realizing that uh, the way our system is set up, it, it only benefits a very select few people. You know, we've been fed the line that, well, it's this other group. It's this other group that's ruining it for you, which is why, you know, they're, they're cracking down on, um, you know, immigration, uh, you know, people who are not Christian are seen as the other, you know. I mean, I'm sort of hesitant to say that it's, um, that the economic class, how much that figures into the Trump support, because on the other end of it, there are so many people on the other spectrum, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the elite rich in America who support Trump. Yeah. So it's almost, it's more like the outliers. Mm Mm-hmm who are supporting Trump and kind of everybody else is lost in the middle. Yeah. So outliers in terms of race and class and gender expectations on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's sort of the, the danger of it in a way, because both are so extreme um, that neither one of them um, hold a lot of room for other. Sure. So, um, but I'm wondering if I could share with you a couple of quotes from yeah, the project. Please. So the the survey that I have people fill out, I, I know we're running low on time. And no, no, you're fine. There's, the words that I've gotten from people um, in the project have been so great. So I really want to, if I yeah, can, share yeah. a couple of them with you. What's the, what's the actual, what's the name of the project? What's the official title? Um, so I've been calling it the face of feminism now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the hashtag for it on Instagram. Um, and that is a working title. Um, but as I said, it the, the project will turn out to be uh, a, more of a snapshot locally than a broad look at feminism across the country or globally, obviously. So, um, I think I'll have to 
you know, kind of rein in my title a little mm-hmm. bit in order to be more reflective of the scope. Fair so. enough. But the, um, the questions that I ask people before they come in um, include things like, what's your brand of feminism? Um, and I get really great, great responses that range um, from that kind of very um, straightforward uh, men and women are equal kind of um perspective to a much more sort of nuanced men and women are more than men and women. There's a gender spectrum and it's beyond the sexes and it's about empowering um, every group of people. Um, Mm. And uh, I think both of those are excellent responses and, but very different. Um, And sometimes there's a more pragmatic response to the word feminism. And sometimes there's a more, um, kind of uh, sort of deeply um, progressive ideology that, that is included in that. So um, I think that's reflected in the answers. So um, one of them here is, I'm not sure how we would describe my brand of feminism. I just think women and men are equal and should be treated so. Really straightforward. Um, versus this answer, my brand of feminism revolves around identifying the state of the world in which the current norm undermines the liberty of those who do not benefit from what is considered the norm. My brand of feminism shares power equally among all and does not seek to demean or undermine anyone. Mm. Longer answer, but also a more kind of complex um, process of digging into what and unpacking what feminism can mean um, in a larger context. And, and this one's very short. I like it a lot. And it's simple rebellion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I, um, I admire that answer quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. So, um, and then another question that I ask is, um, you know, how did you learn about feminism and where did mm-hmm. that come from? And, um, some people have said that, um, they grew up in a Christian home and learning feminism was like unlearning everything else that they had sure. come across in their sure. earlier I lives. With that. Yeah. yeah. Um, And other people said they went to college um, and took a women's studies class or took another kind of politically related class that really opened their eyes to a whole other way of thinking about relationships between people. Um, And then fabulously, another um, person who I spoke with said that they uh, learned about feminism from Tumblr, Mm. which I didn't know that that was even a resource for people. Um, And uh, this person says that Tumblr um, is now a place famous for social justice warriors and um, that that they started to transition from someone, they say, who was generally ignorant and unabashedly offensive into someone who wanted to understand my own experience through the scope of feminism with the goal of liberating myself. And from there, travel down the bumpy road of learning about and understanding the experiences of people who do not share my privileges as a white woman. Hmm. Go Tumblr, right? I mean, it's not just for porn, I guess. I guess. That's pretty great. And I love that feminism is is now becoming so available so that it's not just um, you went to college or you happened to cross this book, but there's uh, information that's becoming more integrated into the kind of... um, material that we that we encounter on the internet yeah so it doesn't always feel like there's feminism and then everything else it's kind of getting more incorporated into um all things yeah 
Um, the third question that I ask people is who has inspired you as a feminist? And so the answers, um, have been really, really great. And one woman said that her mother joined a national organization of women chapter in Texas in 1968. And uh, I would love to have her mom come in and talk about yeah, that because that must have been an interesting time um, to be a member in Texas. In Texas, for sure. Um, and so I can imagine that was a huge uh, inspiration oh, uh, yeah. for that individual. Um, and other people talk about their their friends and their families, Um this person says that the people I keep closest to me continue to show me that there is a better life for everyone as long as we all look out for each other and be the change that we want to see. Mm-hmm. And that's very much that ownership of feminism is really important, that, are, that people feel that they themselves are engaged in and uh, transforming this thing that we um, call you know, e- equality. Yeah. Um, and my last question that I ask people is about the future of feminism. And um, so people um, kind of cover the gamut from a little bit of cynicism. You know, I really don't see it getting much better yeah. um, to um, uh, something about, you know, the government becoming more uh, more focused on women. This person says, I'd like to think with our current state of government that we'll see more women involved in the political process and equal representation. I think only then will we see real progress. I think that individual was saying that what they were hoping was that this administration would only propel people of a progressive mind to step forward and take part in the political process themselves mm-hmm. in order to try and, and overwhelm and and move forward from where we are now. Mm. Um, other people have said, I'm hopeful for, that the future of feminism is the breaking down of the general perceptions and misconceptions of what is and what isn't. In every movement, there are people who demonstrate in ways that may not be productive to the overall cause. So I primarily hope that everyone organizes in a constructive way, which does its best to welcome people to a potentially new process of thought. Mm. Um, which is a really beautiful notion to remember that not everybody is a feminist, but we can invite them in. And the way in which we do that will have a big impact on whether they choose to come in or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so owning, I think when you own, you know, I pulled this really bonehead move. It frees other people. We're like, yeah, you know what? I used to kind of be a bonehead about that too. Mm-hmm. And I was able to own it, name it and step forward. Yeah. Um, so I, I, just, your, just your doing that alone is, um, I think, is a revolutionary act to admit mm. you're wrong, yeah. that you learned something, that other people taught you. All of those things are um, get harder and harder to do the older we get. <laughs> sure. And I also think, I mean, for me personally, I think it's important to talk about when we were incorrect and how we learned from it rather than trying to... Even if we change, I think our natural instinct, be it embarrassment or whatnot, is, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this now, so let's not talk about what I did before. But it's because, like you're saying, you know, be the change in the world we want to see. Part of change is growing, and, part, you know, being an example is showing how you, you've grown. So right. I, think it's, right. I think it's important to do that. I had, you know, I had, had a conversation a couple months ago um, where I had talked about a friend, I had had a c- private conversation with a friend about um, he had a particular perception of a situation, and 
I had told him, I was like, well, I get why you see that because we were kind of, that's how we were raised to perceive this situation. I said, well, look at it from this perspective. And he was like, oh yeah, you're right. But I, I spoke, and I didn't name him by name, but I spoke about it on the podcast and he got very upset with me that I was calling him out. And I was like, no, I wasn't trying to call you out at all. I was trying to point out the fact that we can always change our opinion and, you know, leaving yourself open to someone else's perspective is how we grow. And that's what happened between the two of us. And so, you know, I, but it is easier and safer to point out how somebody else did it, where it's, it's a lot more difficult to kind of own your own bullshit right? and, you know, put a spotlight on your own growth where you, you know, were less than eloquent and learn from it. So, right. yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think it's important for me to, to own that. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really the only way that we, um, that we get to be better people is sure. by announcing our imperfections yeah. and owning them. And then also, I mean, what's mo- most important is learning from that and yeah. moving forward to make uh, better mistakes in the future. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. So if someone listens to this, someone in the, since, since this project is more of a, it's going to be sort of a, a snapshot of this area of feminism. If someone's interested in, being involved with it, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, by email um, is the best way to do it. Um, it's, uh, of course, it's an impossible name. My name is Phoenix. It's got two silent letters, so it's ridiculously difficult. Um, and I wonder if you could put a link to, to my email mm-hmm. um, for me. But um, Phoenix is spelled P-H-O-E-N-I-X. Um, so you put that, Phoenix at phoenixmayette.com. Um, and spell your last name. M-A-Y-E-T. Yeah. So it's P-H-O-E-N-I-X-M-A-Y-E-T. Phoenix at phoenixmayette.com. Okay. Let me know you're interested. I will email you the link to the survey and then have you in at the at you know your soonest convenience for a shoot that takes about 20 minutes to unfold. And I am shooting um couples and small groups. So if you have people that you would like to come in with yeah. Um, that's always really fun and, yeah. uh, and a nice way to, um, to celebrate your, you know, the, the support that your, your group, your tribe brings to you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. I, I was, it was an honor being a part of that project and seeing it grow. And, um, I don't know, I, this, this seemed like pr- pretty painless. Uh, how did it feel to you? Not too bad, Not but too bad. Uh, I don't know. Uh, listening to it, I may change my mind. <laughs> I, that was one of the things that you can't Photoshop this, can you? No, and I don't. You know, I don't edit it either. It's one of those things that. Uh, I think most people are not necessarily comfortable with the sound of their own voice. I know I certainly wasn't. I've gotten very used to it because I talk a lot. I do this <laughs> podcast and another podcast, so I'm hearing the sound of my voice I've gotten used to it after a while but yeah it is sort of a it it's weird hearing what we sound like or seeing what we look like to other people right. uh, because we have our own sort of slant on it and then you see uh, I don't know if it's truer but you see kind of other people's perspective in it and you're like oh that's what I do 
Right, yeah. right, yeah. But you know, that that's so reflective of this whole conversation that we've been having, you yeah. know. We look in the mirror and we think we're seeing ourselves and we're yeah. not. We're seeing the front of our face. There's right. still the back of our head sure. that we can't wrap our mind around, yeah. you know. And yeah. um <clears throat> and so much of the experience of life is like that. Sure. So idiosyncratic and yet Every breathing being on this on this planet is the center of the universe. Sure. You know? Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for chatting. Thank you.